Getting into college was once a normal teenage rite of passage. Now it's a global Hunger Games. You're competing against the kid at the best school in Singapore. Slate and Panoply are here to help. Our new podcast, Getting In, follows a group of seniors through the college application process in real time. Along the way, the students and listeners will get advice from experts with decades of experience. Getting In, a podcast about demystifying college admissions and finding the right fit for every student. Available in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. How's it going? Pretty good. Today we're going to be talking about whether fall is the best time for fucking, a theory recently advanced on the hairpin by Jamie Lauren Keels. And we're also going to be talking a lot about dicks, which is nice because the last time we talked a lot about dicks, I was actually away. Really sweet of you guys to have another dick discourse. Another dick session. Um, This one is going to be prompted by a fantastic timeline Allison put together for the cut on the cultural history of the bionic dick and a new study about the ideal dick size, which was measured using, believe it or not, 3D printing. Let's get on to our first topic, uh, Toward a Theory of Fall Fuckability. That is the title of a pretty great farewell to summer hairpin essay by a writer named Jamie Lauren Keels, who cannot wait for fall to start so she can get going with all the fucking that she's <laughs> going to be having. Lucky girl. Allison, I know you were especially into this piece. Did you want to maybe read its first couple awesome paragraphs? Sure, I did. This is such a good piece. Everyone should read it. This summer, I did not fuck a single person. As the axis of the earth tipped toward the sun, my sex life was reduced to transactional hand brushes with baristas, and so I bought a lot of coffee and waited for the heat to break. In the summer, I can't help but see myself as a human-shaped Ziploc of raw chicken. How awesome is that? (laughs) (laughs) And try as I might to configure a sensible romper or jort, the only garment that seems to make sense remains a bottle of soy vey marinade. (laughs) From June through August, my sex game is benched. By September come, my swag is turned so far off that I begin to wonder if I ever had any at all. But then it is autumn, and with the color of the leaves, my predicament changes. There is a season for everything, and fall is the season for fucking me. Also a good sentence. (laughs) (laughs) While much of the world prepares to go back to school, I spend September preparing to go ass to mouth. Also a great (laughs) sentence. Um, I'm in an inverse pumpkin spice latte for an autumn people from all walks of life go crazy to put themselves inside of me. (laughs) This pattern has held true for as long as I have longed to be held. And while I am certainly not complaining, the question remains... Why? What do you guys think is fall the best time for fucking? Is she right about that? Or is it, what do you think? I think yes. Like, I think summer is kind of a cliched fuck season, but it's all about fall because it's still like warm enough that you want to be outside meeting people, but cool enough that you're not gross and sweaty and like forced to wear uncomfortable shorts. So everyone looks, I think, the best in fall. Is the problem with Uh, summer that it is a cliche or is there, is it the sweaty, like feeling gross part of it? I I think it's like like a total tie for me. She points out in her article that she says, you know, she's a very pale-skinned person and fall sort of works out for her in that she's not, you know, slathered in sunscreen and feeling pasty and all such things. I think 
some of it has to do with like you as a person and perhaps your physicality. I definitely think summer is my hottest season. Really? Uh, yeah. Your, some of it, I feel like big frizzy hair like makes me feel hot as opposed to everybody else is like this is disgusting and and I'm just like I feel so like wild and sexy. But like think about fall with like tights and like, cr- no like way. sweaters where you're like ooh what's underneath there and everyone's hair looks good because there's no humidity. Like, maybe that's I'm, the dream. Maybe I'm super basic, but I just like, feel like when people are more <laughs> naked, it's hotter. <laughs> I definitely feel like and when the first week of spring, when it gets warm and like women are wearing less clothing, sundress season, you're suddenly like, holy shit, the world is so hot. Yes. Like, everybody is so hot. Right. If a season How did I forget that, for six if months? If a season that wasn't summer was the hot one, I would argue spring because it's sort of like the thrill of like, we're outside again. Am I crazy to think that like geography is a part of it too? Because like being at the beach, like being hot is pretty hot but yeah. being in the city being hot and sweaty it's is like disgusting. completely disgusting right. even if it's the same amount of sweat it's like yeah. somehow it's it plays differently i agree it's just like a, it feels like gr- way grosser yeah the city sweat also i feel like when you're in the city sweating it's not just your sweat it's like <laughs> sweat of everybody on the subway and like waiting in line with you in various places but isn't it also the case that sweat is sort of hot like yeah. I'm going to say no. Really? I feel like nothing sexy about it. It gets really hot in the studio right now, guys, and I am so sweaty. And I don't feel particularly <laughs> sexy. So throw that out there. <laughs> you look great, though, Allison. Yeah, I'm just glistening. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. had, a, like, a really, for me, a really formative moment when I was 19. I was, like, hanging out with a friend of mine in college who was getting ready for, like, a formal. And he was, like, I was, like, so wait, what do you what do you need to do? And he was, like, well, um, I need to make sure that I have the optimal level of ball sweat to go to this dance. <laughs> And I was so naive. I was like, or I feel now like I was naive. I was like, isn't that level zero? <laughs> what did he say? He was like, no. He was like, no, Dave. You have a lot to learn. <laughs> wait, but, like, wait. Do like, I have a lot I to learn? Why? I don't understand why. Why, why is ball sweat good? Well, because it can, it contains like pheromones. pheromones. Yeah. Oh my god. I feel like this pheromone thing is a weird. Okay, so there have been people that like Putting study aside pheromones, pheromone, it's just like la, 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 the, sw- but the smell of people is hot. I think it's like no, basically hot. Not ball sweat smell. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? This is something I've noticed. Men are for some reason into like all up in their smell stick. Chicks are not. No, yeah. I don't want The that. optimal amount of ball sweat is zero ball sweat. And wait, this is why. I say I... this is a person that touches balls, all right? <laughs> <laughs> the only one in the room? I don't know. <laughs> well, David doesn't. <laughs> or but I don't know, why, maybe. This is like a great explanation of summer is not. Not sexy, right? Because I look at you, sweat, not you, like the general, (laughs) the royal one, but, and I see sweat and I don't think like, ooh, sexy sweat makes me want to think about sexing you in the sexy place. I see like swamp ass, back sweat, stinky ball sweat, BO, like that's what I think of when I think of summer and flesh. I mean, I see the logic of what you're saying, but I also think that like, you know, while a woman like who just who's like just gotten out of the shower is hot. Also, a woman who's like just come home from the gym and hasn't showered is hot. And I think that there is something about I will the funkiness say, that is hot. I'm extremely um, unfair about this because as I think about it now, I don't really like it when a guy is hot, like sweaty and gross. But if I'm sweaty and gross, <laughs> I'm like, come at me, <laughs> woohoo! I'm just double, sweating everywhere, baby. Um, I, maybe the moral of the story is that I'm just like really selfish. <laughs> but <laughs> so, what is the least fuckable season then? I mean, that's you know, I have right. to say, I actually think fall is the least fuckable season. First, because I find like woolly stockings and woolly sweaters and stuff is just like not my jam. Um, 
Second, because I think that there is a secret silver lining to the dead of winter. We're all so depressed. Fuck. <laughs> in that you hear that sort of cliche about cuffing season that you need your like winter boyfriend. So there's somebody to snuggle up with you. But I do think that there are so many Christmas parties, New Year's parties. There's so many one so night stand oppor- opportunities in the middle of winter. So yeah. much drinking. Oh, that's funny. I always like I'm just like so counterintuitive today. I always wanted cuffing season to be in the warmer months. So then you could do fun bar barbecues and like take little trips to swimming places and like if I was gonna have to be tied down it would be in summertime when I wanted to do more like I'm fine to sit alone and watch Netflix all winter that's okay I'm gonna I feel like our our like seasonal sexuality is completely completely opposite opposite, Allison but you know what I think this is an important thing among single female friends (laughs) that we're going for dudes at different times of the year this is perfect it's really important wing women for each other yeah we really stumble on something here so we've been talking about fucking in the fall now let's move on to our second very long topic. Penis. We cannot stop talking or thinking about dick size. <laughs> really? A new study by researchers working at UCLA and the University of New Mexico and published in, I think it's pronounced P-L-O-S, but it could be PLOS 1, which may sound like a joke of a journal, but it's actually totally legit. This may be the biggest, most reliable survey we have to date about what size of dicks women actually want. And the amazing thing to me anyway was that the researchers found that what women wanted actually was an average size dick. I mean, technically a little bigger than average, but basically an average size dick. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we talk about how reasonable seeming that is as a finding, Maureen, did you want to maybe tell us a little bit about the unusual structure of the study? What these um, researchers did was they 3D printed pretend penises and let the women, you know, pick them up, hold them, look at them and say, this is the ideal size I want. And they primed them for, you know, like, this is the one I want in my boyfriend. And they give them another array and they say, who do you want to have a one night stand with? Interestingly, they wanted their boyfriends to have six inch penises with a circumference of five inches. And they wanted their one night stands to have 6.4 inch penises, also with a five inch circumference. It's unclear whether like that's actually what they're hoping for in their one night stands. Or they're somehow like the story made them size up a tiny bit. But overall, between six and 6.4, those are ultimately pretty close to the average erect penis. Great. It's also interesting the study is like one of the first ones, I think, where they've asked women about or shown women dicks to choose from that are erect. Like yes. off, often weirdly they're talking about flaccid penises, right. which is like How I can I know. even tell <laughs> yeah. they're relevant and strange? <laughs> yeah, like by the time I see the penis it probably is hard or should right. be. And the three D printing also helps because it takes out um like race considerations mm, right. which they said were clouding people's they were just judgment blue before. dicks in this case yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also like god 3d t- printing technology it's just like <laughs> so much for us you know it truly is yeah. you see like the assembly line like turning <laughs> out the all the, the penises dicks, it was cool i don't know i was if you sort of ask a woman how big of an erect penis do you want like guessing how long and what you actually want i think is kind of confusing i imagine that actually seeing the models that you're like oh that's 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 what that's it looked right like size. when i like it yeah <laughs> Then again, though, there is something about like a blue disembodied 3D printed penis that I'm like, I don't know if how relevant that actually is. Who the penis is attached to is kind of relevant. If it's a tiny penis on a giant man, I might feel different about it, you know, or vice versa. (laughs) If you do that kind of study, then you're really not measuring preference for dick size. Right. Although you could have just like men standing behind glory holes, (laughs) just like looking at. Well, I think what I guess I'm wondering is, though, say, if if what happens is we ask women what size dick you want and they gravitate to the average, 
couldn't that also just mean that dick size isn't that big of a deal to them? That they're yeah. like, uh, whatever's normal, cool, done. Right. Or whatever I've seen the most feels like it's yeah, most comfortable. That, that feels right. Because right. this is here's the median penis that I've been looking at. Right. But I mean that's kind of that's like reassuring for most people out there, right? Oh, certainly. Like, uh, you know, size doesn't matter, but you better know how to use it. Yeah. Saying or whatever. Well, is that how you guys feel personally? No. Um I think <laughs> I think, I mean, I was thinking about it, I was like, how specific, I know this question is going to come up, and I think I've been on the record enough in this podcast that it's like abundantly clear that I think though most women report not caring about dick size, I do. I, you know what, I, I just like don't want it to be extreme. Like I'm happy with a nice like median dick. I don't want the outliers. Like I don't want one that's too yeah. big and make me scared or too the small. The fat part of the bell laugh. curve, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's yeah. where I rest comfortably with dicks. And I have curve. to say... <laughs> Sometimes, like, I have seen a dick and been like, that's, oh, how is that ever going to work? That's way too big. And you're like, oh, once I get going, hey, look, they're like <laughs> magical things I can do with this. And ditto <laughs> the other direction that, like, you see a penis and you think you know how it's going to function or you see a person. But, like, once you get going with something, you find different methods and different things you do with it. It always surprises you. And there are many surprises in store, <laughs> regardless of the giganticness or tininess of a penis. Well, s- somewhat relatedly, Maureen, you were, I think you flagged this story, which is a 52-year-old man with the world's largest penis who is now, he's asking for disability. Yeah, he... <laughs> First of all, how do they, like, who goes around and measures... Well, the Guinness Book of World Records, Do actually. They really? Yeah. So this guy has not been Guinness World certified yet, but um, he's been on a sort of media tour with his giant penis. <laughs> his name is Roberto Cabrera. He lives in Mexico. And part of the reason he's doing this sort of PR tour is that he would like to be Guinness Book certified. But actually, his 18.9-inch penis, he says, is causing major problems in his life. He can't hold a job. And he wants to be on disability pay. That's really tragic. What are the problems? um, I mean, it's so big that it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm guessing there's back pain associated with having to support that all the time, right? You know, pants don't fit him right. He's always just uncomfortable and unhappy. He said he can't really, like, women aren't attracted to him because it's... Because 18.9 inches is huge. Although, as he was sort of proving the size of his penis, he went to a doctor who did x-rays and examined it. According to this doctor, he actually has six inches of penis, and the rest is skin. (laughs) I think the quote was extra skin. Extra skin. So he's got six inches of penis and then 12.9 inches of extra skin hanging off the end. So it's just like a little guy in a huge turtleneck, basically. It just seems like that can be so easily fixed surgically, right? Just like a skin removal process. One would they, imagine they, the time. they didn't clarify like if this is just like an extra long foreskin or thicker skin. Allison, I think you have more knowledge of this uh, penis, though. Yeah, I was tricked into, and by tricked, I mean I willingly clicked on <laughs> a little video that TMZ posted of our Roberto here. Uh-huh. Um, it showed how, how big it was that he could hit himself in the face with it. He... <laughs> Like, and you said not, how, not how, even when he was bending down, like while he was, he was just, sitting up. He was up. sitting cross-legged and, um, yeah, he was Whacking just himself. swinging it up to his face easily. With, I mean, it didn't even look like it took effort, guys. It was just <laughs> like a gentle this, movement. It's really way more giant than, I think, Maureen, you were saying the current record holder has only a 13.3. So it's like 150% yes. the, the oh size God. of the world's next biggest. Yeah, Nick, it's that's crazy. so much bigger. That's uh, so much. <laughs> I just I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I mean, eighteen point nine inches. That's like that's bigger than a lot of babies are born from head to toe. Yes, I, I'm not a baby expert, but yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
nobody has asked the obvious, the auto fellatio question. Um, well, is that always a cliche? Watching the video, we obvious. were like, we clearly could. One step away from that happening. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> I, I can't was, even imagine. I think there was like a kiss. I think he did Ugh. give a little kiss. Anyway, wow. the video is, I can't, don't know if you can tell, but it really has scarred me for the day. Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't see this video, to be honest. I'll send you the link. <laughs> I, oh, my God. All right. So we've been talking about dick size, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, now let's move on to our last topic, the cultural history of the bionic dick. Allison, I totally loved this piece of yours. Not great, surprised. Great moments in robot penis history. Was It, it was a favorite of yours to do, too. It was too. really fun. I mean, I really like both. Well... Two interests of mine combined for one great article. <laughs> Robots and dicks. Robots and dicks. What uh, what prompted it? Um, a Scottish man was given an eight-inch bionic penis, the first one in history, after he lost his uh, his penis in a really tragic accident. And it's amazing because the bionic dick, it's just like he pushes a button and it gets erect, and then he pushes another button and it deflates, I guess, and it, it fills with fluid from his own body. So it's like, like oh. a crazy science and it's filling with stomach fluid some, in a way that's like really safe. Ew. I know. Well, I mean, also, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. All science is ew if you look too hard at it's it. It's true. I mean, and he never would have had a working penis otherwise. They don't think that he can um, reproduce, obviously, because it's stomach fluid. Does he pee out of it? No. Does he have a urethra? He has to have a... Uh, a little bad close to me back. Yeah. Oh, okay. But this is just so he can have sex. He's a virgin mm. at 43, and now he's so excited because with his robot penis, he can have sex with a woman successfully. So anyway, that that got me thinking, you know, what what other great moments in bionic penises have there been? Or, like, what, what got us to the point of even thinking about constructing, like, a machine penis for somebody to use? So I started Googling, and that was weird. Um, but then I found some kind of fun cultural moments uh, in the long history of. Yeah, I mean, what's the penises. distinction that makes a bionic dick bionic? So for my purposes, I was just thinking like a machine-operated phallus. I even included kind of like vibrators. So it was like, is it a disembodied phallic-shaped thing that's run by a machine or computer? I'm mm-hmm. going to count that as a robot penis. People on Twitter did argue that I was missing the point of robot penises, but what did I they say the robot penis? The point of the robot penis was that it, it it's like all like it's all computer based. So it's the kinds of things that like um, that allow you to control a vibrator using your smartphone um, because like the pure meaning of teledildonics, which is a phrase I learned. <laughs> yes, tell us <laughs> so about teledildonics. Um, it's a it was coined in 1975 where this uh, inventor Suppression. I know um, Ted Nelson envisioned his like utopia future where we would all be fucking through through computers and like. Wait, suits. this is te- this is Ted Nelson, the guy who like invented the internet. Yes. But he was thinking of like, <laughs> I want an internet so one day I can fuck using a suit. <laughs> the amount of technology the that is on in- some level driven by the libido. I know. Especially the male libido. Would we even that, have yeah. the internet if Ted Nelson hadn't like wanted to fuck someone using a computer? Wow. it's pretty crazy. And probably you can imagine him fantasizing about fucking many people at once. With <laughs> oh, yeah. Just wearing a virtual reality suit. Yeah, um, I think how many people you could fuck at once with Teledildonic. Oh, overwhelming the possibilities yeah. of this tech trend um anyway so a, a lot of people argue that that a vibrator mm. would not like by itself um or like a vibrating dildo by itself doesn't count as a robot penis because it's like 
human control. Well, doesn't it depend on how, like, responsive the vibrator is? I saw the most amazing product recently, which is called the Ambrosia by this company called Orgasmatronics. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> they offered to send me one, but they haven't sent it yet. Okay. However, nudge, nudge. what it is is a responsive strap-on dildo with a vibrator inside of it. So what it means is that when a woman straps on this dildo, it's pressure sensitive, and the pressure affects how much the vibrator is vibrating, the vibrator that's on her body. Whoa. That's so, a penis. Yeah, yeah, that's a robot that's a penis. Robot. <laughs> Amazing. When it comes in, I'll, you know, we can get one for you too, Allison. I feel like I need to update but, this immediately. Um, they only, they invented it kind of recently and it's very much a fringe product right now. But I was just talking to a woman who'd used it and she said she called it a phantom limb phenomenon because when she's wearing it, she could be like holding her hand and masturbating using the action a man would make. But it would make her orgasm because by squeezing it, the vibrator that was on her body would vibrate more heavily. Isn't that amazing? She's like, I know I won't know what it's like to have a penis, but I think this is the closest I'm ever going to come. Wow. So to speak. That is a breakthrough in teledildonics. I think they, yeah, I think they don't have very many, like, units yet, as they call it. They refer to it as a unit. And did you think about, like, when a a dick is attached to an actual robot? Is that a whole different kind of... I think Steven Spielberg in the movie AI Uh envisioned, like, a world where we just were having sex with robots, which was kind of cool. He had, like, these very realistic looking cyborgs but that's essentially a robot penis because it's just a robot that was created to have sex with you um it was played it's by a robot that has a penis it has but a the penis. penis is its its essence its, yes. yes it's the it's only reason for being <laughs> as i'm sure some people would even say of themselves now <laughs> but that was played by Jude Law which is like not my idea like i'd rather have a disembodied penis than like a Jude Law really? sex robot yeah i think so because then it's like I'll take the Jude Law sex really? robot. Okay. You know, this is the thing. Whenever I'm thinking about vibrators, I adamantly never want a vibrator that actually looks like a penis because there's something so weird to me about a weird disembodied penis-looking thing. Really? What, yeah. Well, what's weird about it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, like, what, what could like, possibly really... be weird about this <laughs> magical... Like, it's, like, it's like a magic wand. I don't understand. I'm so I don't know. It just weirds me out. I'd rather have like a vibrator that looks like either like a power tool or a, like, lump of Play-Doh. I just, for some reason, like, the fake phallus. <laughs> Actually, me out. I think that, I mean, this is kind of going off, off topic, but, you know, we had that woman, um, an earlier guest, who designed the little minion-looking vibrator. Oh, yeah, and Eva. I, yeah, and I had a discussion with her um, uh, before she came on about, like, design mm-hmm. and how more and more companies are kind of moving away from designing vibrators that look just like dicks because it's uncomfortable for most women and it's kind of embarrassing to have like something on your nightstand that penises <laughs> but like i think that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> here's my drawer of dicks like it's kind of fun right? you carry them in your trench coat if you could <laughs> yes yeah. i might even have one in my tote bag <laughs> i don't know there's something yeah maybe the approach of like how we envision like the sci-fi world right so in your in your future of teledildonics, you don't want you want something that looks nothing like an actual penis, but it's still like yeah. I think there's something some like point of pride that I'm like forget you men. I'm and gonna do, you, do this with this like star shaped object. <laughs> do you think though in the future this is like a favorite topic, a conversation topic? We'll be having sex with robots, not people, or like sex will be through um, virtual reality as opposed to like actual human contact. What is the Ocu- like Oculus Rift sex oh, yeah. apps have become like such a thing? I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I guess some kind of sex contact with something like robots seems inevitable, but I don't think it's going to like displace actual sex. It's just going to be like, you know, peep shows and porn and like yeah. uh and vibrate, you know, like right. And those who Like maybe... your vibrator doesn't make you not want to fuck a dude, right? 
<laughs> Allison just rolled her eyes for the record. Um, I guess I imagine that, say, the the real doll contingent would be perhaps thrilled to have yeah. the real doll be, you know, more lifelike Responsive. and moving around and robotic. Um, call me old fashioned, but I don't think we'll be able to replace people the thrill of, you know, a surprising person and the feeling of a person. I don't know. I mean, look at her. Right. That was pretty convincing for just having a real sexual relationship or this relationship with a co- what a, I feel like I'm defending this like so hardly <laughs> to the point where people are going to be concerned about me <laughs> it's okay though but, you but can I, love robots if you want to thanks guys the love that I mean, I dare might. not speak its name the love of Jude Law robots I bet there's like a whole like erotic ca- category of like erotica that's like oh, definitely real robots not even like looking like Jude Law but like looking like machines <laughs> yeah oh yeah totally um, I have not dove in, but like I want, I really want to get into that. And if it doesn't exist, I will be writing that. That sounds great. There was a paper recently published in the journal Futures, which is just a bunch of people thinking about like what will the Futurist. world be. I know, right? Cool. In 2050, they said that like sex with robots will be really commonplace, and virtual reality sex will be part of the norm. I can't imagine that happening so soon, to be honest. But I mean. Who knows that the um, the Oculus Rift thing is like really well. You've seen those videos of the um, when you wear the Oculus and then the guy has some kind of like device that's like a flashlight moving right. around on him based on what he's doing in his virtual reality world. Right. So in that sense, say like those devices become more frequent. I feel like these virtual reality things would need a lot more space. Right. So like in your class, <laughs> anything's gonna hold you back. It's gonna be the space you need to have it. <laughs> right. But you. Theoretically, you could have like an Oculus Rift suit in your closet, and then that's what you use instead of a vibrator or a flashlight, or which is just crazy. That's so expensive. Yeah, or I don't know. Maybe somehow your vibrator gets connected to a virtual reality world. Right. The future's so great and weird. <laughs> <laughs> so <excited>. Me <laughs> <Can't> too. <wait. laughs> We've been talking about uh, the future of teledildonics. I'm like so happy to have learned that word. I know. It's like what I a word. To, I want that tattooed somewhere on me. <laughs> teledildonics. <laughs> And that's it for Sex Lives. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Henry Malofsky, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. For Maureen O'Connor and Allison Davis, I'm David Wallace-Wells. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.